Well, good morning. Thank you for the very, uh, very kind welcome. Thank you, Andrew, for saying nice things about me. I, I will say nice things about him in return, and I'll scatter them throughout the, the weekend. <laughs> Drip feed them. It's too much glory to just distill to one session. Just give me a second. I um. Sorry, I need to start. Oh, on, a, on a completely uh, side note, I've lost my phone somewhere here. And I use it as a timer for preaching, so it's in your best interests uh, to help me find uh, the phone. It is a lowly Samsung. It's not an iPhone, but I have no idea where it is on this campus. So if you do see a Samsung that looks homeless, um, I'd appreciate it if you could... Send it my way. It may be mine. I don't go and like lift somebody else's phone. That we're not that desperate. Um, they tell you at preaching school that you should start with jokes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, humor is certainly one of the things I love uh, a lot. Uh, but as we were worshiping, I, um, I I felt that I wanted to let you know I have, by the grace of God, had the wonderful privilege of going to visit many churches and, and speak in lots of different places. And I wanted to encourage you that, that God is doing something very special amongst your church. Um, some of you may be um, quite new to, to grace. Um, it's understandable at a weekend like this. Some of you may just be sort of looking in or feel like a bit disconnected or maybe someone's dragged you here um, and promised you it's not going to be as, as bad as you think. Uh, and some of you are like heart and soul. You were with the start of this church, and so you've seen everything over the last few years. But I did want to encourage you that, that, that God is doing something particularly wonderful amongst you. There is, there, is a, there is a move of God's Spirit amongst you as a church that, I'm not going to say it, it is unique, what's happening here. And it's a wonderful thing to be swept up in. And I want to encourage you that if you are sort of on the fringe or looking in to, to lean in and to take steps, even this weekend, to dive into what God's doing. It's a wonderful gift. Um, I don't know how rare it is in London. I'm not particularly familiar with the scene in London. It's a big, sprawling kind of city. I'm sure there's a million churches you could go to. Um, and Andrew hasn't asked me to do a pitch for, you know, stick around at Grace, you know, let's see how many people we can get. But uh, I, want, I want to encourage you to lean into what God is doing here. God is doing something unique and wonderful, yeah, and you don't want to miss what, what, is, what is happening, and you want to lean in and say in years to come that you were part of what God did uh, amongst this body. Th- this is the start. This is the, the embryonic, um, the early, the shallows of what God is going to do uh, in and amongst you guys as a church. And it's thrilling to see. I was with you a couple of years ago, and I think, by God's grace, most of you have never seen me, um, which is wonderful. That means you've joined the church, I think, in the last two years. Um, it's understandable if you were here two years ago and you heard my name, you may have found something else to do <laughs> this weekend. But um, I, So I'm grateful that you're here. And uh, as Andrew said, we're going to ambitiously try and work our way through not the book of Romans, but Romans chapter 8 in five sessions. Um, I know it's a lot, and so what we're going to do is we're going to have selective uh, focus as we go through Romans 8. Um, I think it was John Piper who said that if the, if the Bible was a mountain range, Romans would be the Himalayas, and Romans 8 would be Mount Everest. Uh, it, is, it is potentially the most glorious chapter in the Bible, 
I don't like to be that kind of person who's like, well, this chapter's better than that chapter. But, I mean, let's be honest. Some of the chapters are more heavy going than others. Uh, I'm not doing Leviticus 8 for a good reason. We're doing Romans 8. And, um, and we're going to be dividing it up into, I think, what's sort of bite-sized, manageable chunks. And um, praying that as I've prayed and prepared and sort of sought to hear from the Lord for you as a church, I think we're going to have some selective focus. And so I'll leave a lot out um, but you can just keep rereading Romans 8 and it'll do your soul a lot of good. So should we start by reading the first 13 verses? Um, I'll read, I am uh, I'm between Bible translations at the moment. Someone stole my Bible uh, a couple of months ago. I know, I know. <laughs> who, who steals the pastor's Bible? <laughs> at the weekend away, we had our own church weekend away. It was the weekend away, someone stole my Bible. I'm like, do you want the glory that comes with that pastor's Bible? There's no glory or special anointing on that book. It's just, I'd like it back. So now it's gone. Now I have this lame new one that has no notes in it or anything. Uh, So I'm in between the ESV and the Christian Standard Bible. So I will change translations as we go through the weekend. Um, I think I'm sort of making a move to the CSB, but some of the stuff will come out in the ESV, just if you want to know what translation we track you with. Romans 8. Verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's pray together. Father, we, we're daily grateful for this astounding gift of your word. Thank you that you haven't left us to discover you 
what foolishness that would be on our part to think that we could do that. But you have, in your kindness, revealed yourself to us. You have put your nature and your character on display, and you have spoken true and life-giving words, and you have given them to us in a book. But you continue to speak. There is life in these words, and so we pray uh, this morning that as we look at your, at your word, that whilst uh, I speak, we would hear your voice. That's our heart's desire, Father. We, we long to hear the living God speak to us. And we pray that you would make our hearts receptive, that you would sharpen our minds to be attentive to what the Spirit is saying to us, unblock our ears. There's always a bit of fuzziness in our minds and our spirits when we change gears on a weekend like this. So we pray for a, a sharpness in our spirits to, to move with what you're doing, what you're saying, what you have for us this weekend. Speak, we are listening. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and teach us and open up our eyes to see you in your glory through your word. We pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with uh, the most important stuff. I want to begin <coughs> with the gospel. Uh, Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter that circles around. You could say that all of Romans 8 is, is the gospel looked at from different aspects. Um, and I find that well, we, I find leading a church, when we talk about the gospel, um, there's a lot of confusion around the term. I'm sure that at Grace there's less confusion, uh, not, not than there is in my church, but in other churches maybe. But I hear, you hear people praying, and I remember being in a prayer meeting a while ago, and I had to pull the guy aside just to use it as a discipleship opportunity and say, can we grab a coffee? Because the way you were using the word gospel in the way you were praying man, had me so confused. I think we need to sit down kind of thing. He kept talking about how the gospel is going to grow. And I'm like, the gospel's going to grow. Like, yeah, it's not like a plant. Like, it's like, I, I sort of understood what he was saying, but it was such fuzzy language. And, you know, true to form in a good Christian prayer meeting, everyone's agreeing and you're like making either amens or little empathetic grunts, you know, depending on their level of charismatic leaning. And, uh, and I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm not grunting along to that. That's, not a, that's an ungrunt-worthy phrase, the gospel growing. Like, the gospel is, is a declaration of something that God has done. Something that God has done. And we live out the implications of that, but it's not, it's not growing. It's already, as it were, happened. It's a... It's, it's news of something that God has done. And so what, what has God done? Well, the first thing is that God has done what you and I could not. That's the first thing Paul is at pains to point out to you, that God has done what you could not. I'm going to say that again. God has done what you could not. And how has he done it? He's done it himself. In sending his own son into the world. This is the way Paul describes it, that you and I were bound to fulfill the law and all of its requirements perfectly. That was God's requirement for humankind. And we missed that. And it rendered us with an inability to ever achieve that. And God knew that. And he looked on us with compassion. And so he devised a plan, a plan that had been in place already, to come himself into the world to live a perfect life in your place, 
to meet all of those righteous requirements of the law, God as a man, the God-man Jesus Christ, never ever sinning, never ever deviating from God's perfect desire for humankind. And all the way through to the end, he completes that full obedience, that full righteousness that you and I were unable to do. God did. He fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. And in doing so, he sets us free from that. He sets us free from having to meet the righteous requirements of the law because you just believe that he's done it for you and you receive that with faith. Is that an oversimplification of the gospel? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul summarizes it like this. He made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's that exchange. We were talking about this with the leaders yesterday. There's an exchange that's happened. It's a glorious exchange. God has taken our unrighteousness and he's given us this perfect righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, you're, you're cloaked, you're shrouded with the perfect righteousness of God. It's, it's astounding. And we're going we're gonna to come back and revisit this again and again because uh, as a pastor, somebody who longs to see people come to faith and grow in faith, I've realized that um, this is not something you graduate from. I, I, can, look at, I can see some of your faces. Um, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard the gospel. I know that. I'm waiting for the interesting stuff. Like, I'm sure he's going he's gonna to spin on to other things and it's going to get better. can only get better. But we're going to keep coming back to this again and again, and we're going to look at it from all the different sides and the implications of this because you grow in maturity and in joy as a believer in Jesus by diving deeper and deeper into the layers of understanding what God has done for you. You don't progress from this. It's not, this is not the news that pulls people to new life in Jesus Christ. It's not like, hey, if you're, a, if you're not following Jesus yet, you need to hear this and it will do something uh, cause you to love him and become a Christian. It's not just that. It's, it's those who, who follow him. You camp here. This is base camp for believers, soaking your heart in the truth of the gospel, what God has done for you. And you wake up every morning, it's like, God, you've done it again for me today. You don't graduate from your need for the gospel. Some of you will grow old and gray. I know some of you, that's going to take a while. And you can't imagine it. But when you're old and gray, you're going to wake up in the morning and you know what your most pressing need will be? To soak your heart in the truth of the gospel. If you don't believe me, ask a few of the people who are old and gray. I don't want to single them out because there aren't many here and I'm already on tenuous ground even mentioning that. But go and ask them. And ask them, say, well, what is your greatest need? What has brought you the greatest joy as you've walked with Jesus? They'll tell you that. You know, soak your heart in the truth of the gospel. It's amazing that God became a man and did this for us. We think we're quite impressive as human beings, don't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, just, was it last week, we took a picture of a black hole. I don't know if, you, if that missed you. Maybe you did. Maybe it did. I mean, if you're not, like, following all that stuff... But we, we've managed to, to take the first picture of a black hole. 
Somebody said to me that they, it, lo- it looks like it's just a fuzzy picture of a car cigarette lighter, um, <laughs> which I'm sort of leaning towards, I think, being true. Uh, do you have car cigarette lighters in the UK? Is that being banned by health and safety? Oh, you still have them. Um, but we, we can pat ourselves on the back and say, man, we just took a picture of a black hole. Well done, us. I mean, it took like 10 years for them to figure out and write all the algorithms and stuff. It's like, aren't we pretty impressive? And then you do the, you see those, um, those pictures where they put everything in perspective and the size of the black hole and the size of the sun and the size of, you know, our, of the earth and everything else. And it's just like earth is like it hardly even registers next to the black hole kind of thing. And then you're like, oh, I feel a bit small. And then you turn to the scriptures and you read passages like he's, he's measured off the heavens in the palm of his hand. It's like holding everything that's made, just like right there. Got it all going. That God became a man. That's the God. It's not like your friend did something extra special for you. It's like the God who spoke and everything came into being. And he sustains it all just with the power of his word. That's the God. I I love to do this with our church. When we pray together, we spend sometimes praying open prayers as a church. And I say, before we rush in, because I know you're just like me, you're distracted. Your mind's all over the place. Before we start to pray, and we try and encourage those who are going to lead people in prayer, so let's just think of something about the grandeur of who we're speaking to for a second. We're grateful that we can rush in. There's no like hoops we have to jump through and you know put ourselves up to come into His presence and you know like oh are we presentable? We're rushing like children just barge through the door like hey mom dad I need whatever it is. We're so welcome. We're always with them, but we want to be mindful like who are we talking to? What is He able to do? Because if He if you don't have a picture of God who's holding the heavens in the palm of His hand, you ask limp prayers. You're only going to ask for. Small little things. Lord, can you please help me with this little thing, little thing? And not, not, not faithful the prayers. Like he's actually able to do something about it. And, and, and not prayers of amazement. The, the God who's like that would be willing to humble himself to the extent that he would squeeze all of his godness into human form. Out of his desire to extend grace to you and get you out of the mess that you got yourself into. It's amazing. That is the gospel. That God loves you and loves the display of his glory so much that he would go to such elaborate lengths to do that. And in Jesus, God has paid and covered the penalty of sin and the punishment of it and broken the power of sin over your life. And we're going to dig into the implications of that over this weekend. But that's where we want to start. Again, with the gospel, and I'll come back to this again a bit later, but this may be, this will not be the first time some of you have heard this. Uh, You will have heard it, some of you, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, you may have heard this multiple times. And our prayer for you this weekend, and ongoing prayer is that uh, as in the repetitive hearing of it, something, you, you would sense God drawing you to himself in amazement and a wonder and say, that message sounds unbelievable it sounds too good to be true that God would do that for me that's ridiculous in some ways and it is it is ridiculous that God would do that for you because there's nothing 
about us that makes us worthy or lovable or, you know, there's nothing. Just think about yourself. I mean, some of you, I don't mean to be unkind, but some of you think quite a bit about yourselves, no doubt. We all have moments like that where we think we're not all that bad, you know. And yet if you sit with a sober assessment of yourself, you realize there's nothing lovely in us that would make God look at you and think, you know what, I'm going to go to absolutely extreme lengths because there's such a lot of loveliness and goodness to work with there. Demands that I do elaborate things to rescue that person. There's nothing lovely in us, and yet God has sought us and pursued us and extended this astounding grace. And our prayer is that over this weekend you would respond to this grace that God has lavished because it comes in waves. And I think that's one of the things that I've been praying your sense this weekend, that God's grace comes in waves. Just when you think uh, we just spent a couple of weeks down in Amschlange, it's near Durban, the South Africans will know where it is with our kids. Um, and we have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and a, and a 5-year-old. And the five-year-old is still learning about the ocean. Um, I realize if you've lived in London your whole life, you may not know much about crashing waves, but just picture the scene. Uh, it's a beach. It's a real beach, not like on the side of the Thames. There's actual sand and lifeguards even. And, uh, and he's still learning what waves can do to you. you know, and it was, uh, we, we're at the age where he can swim, so he's sort of water safe, but he's not sea safe. And a couple of weeks ago, we were letting him in there. And I just wanted him to get a sense, because I want him to fear the ocean. I don't want him to be afraid of the ocean, but I want him to have a healthy fear of the ocean. And so what I wanted him to do was to get clapped by cup. Clapped is getting hit, sorry. I wanted to get, I have to translate everything here. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted him to get hit by a couple of waves so that he wouldn't drown, but he would have a healthy fear of the ocean. And so I'm standing there, there's his dad there, and he just gets Absolutely. Yeah, I, can, he, I mean, the waves are almost his height, and he's ready to jump over. And I can see, you know, if you haven't played in the sea much, waves don't all have the same strength. So it can look like it's a benign wave, but it's actually got some heat behind it. And I mean, it, actually, it absolutely cleared this guy upside down, you know. He, like, he had sand in places you should never have, uh, that you should never have sand. And, and, and he almost managed to right himself, uh, and then the next wave got hold of him. <laughs> I sound like a sadist, but uh, I sh- maybe I need counseling. And all the parents are like, wow, that's how the, that's how the South Africans... <laughs> yeah, maybe he needs counseling anyway. So I, I let this happen for two or three waves. Um, and, then, and then like he realized that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't enjoying it as much anymore. And I got him to the, got him to the shore and like sort of, you know, righted him the right way around. And he orientated him and explain to him some more about the waves and stuff like that. But uh, as I was praying, uh, that little uh, time with him came to my mind that those waves that crash over you that sometimes can disorientate you uh, but are relentless. That's my prayer, that God's grace, that you would encounter the grace of God in relentless waves. And some of those waves will crash over you and you'll feel upended. If you've ever been barrel rolled by a wave, you won't, you'll realize you don't know which way is up. For a second, everything feels dark around you, but you will get washed up and you will be fine. But I'm praying that the waves of God's grace wash over you, upend you, to wreck you for anything less. To wreck you for anything less. You become unsatisfied with just making the sandcastles on the beach. You realize that the actions in the waves, where the grace is tumbling you, 
that's where the fun is. I mean, that's why you go to the beach, isn't it? Play in the sea. Not to build sandcastles. I'm fair-skinned. I don't like the beach. I like the sea. What are the outcomes of the gospel for us? Chapter starts with this. Paul says, there is therefore now what? No condemnation. That word condemnation, it means a guilty verdict and the associated punishment. A guilty verdict and the associated punishment. And he says, there is therefore now, and he's gone through, this is what he's talking about, all the preceding chapters of Romans. Because of what God has done in the gospel, there is now for you no condemnation. There is no condemnation. It's all gone. It's all gone. If there is something that in this session is the only thing I want you to hear, it's this. That there is, for those who believe in Jesus, there is no condemnation. That the banner over your life is forgiven. Set free. The condemnation that you rightly deserve because of your sinful foolishness and rebellion against God is gone. God has taken care of that in himself. That's what Jesus has done. He has become a sin offering for you in your place. And because of that gracious exchange at the cross, the banner written over your life is not condemned. Not condemned. Your shame is taken away. Your shame is taken away. As a pastor, this has become something that has grown in our understanding of of what people most need to experience in terms of the implications of the gospel is that your shame has been taken away. It's a game changer. It's a complete game changer. My wife and I were privileged enough to go and spend a year um, living in Seattle uh, and studying at a church there. Um, And it was a great season for us. We only had two kids at the time. It was a life-giving season for us in a a wonderful uh, gospel-centered church. And we got to go through some of the courses that the church had. Uh, and one of the churches, one of, one of the courses was called the, the Redemption Groups. It was a, it was a course that w- walked through the book of Exodus and, and, and helped people understand sort of the gospel and what God had done. And it had a real emphasis on, on this, helping Christians understand that God had taken your shame. That God had taken your shame and that that wasn't left for you, that you could step into the fullness of what God had for you in life and freedom and walking in the light, and that the shame was gone. You didn't have to live forgiven, but just keep the stuff under wraps. Don't anyone know about it kind of thing. And um, there, was one, there was one evening that is etched in our memories uh, as a couple. Uh, we were doing the course at the same time. It's a men's and women's um, separate kind of group in uh, course. And we were tracking through it together, and they, they send you home with homework. To, to share um, something that had come up in the group and um, it happened that we both had, uh, they rotate through people in different weeks and we had both been on on the same week. And when we got back to the flat, uh, both a bit apprehensive because uh, now we had, we didn't know that we both had homework, uh, but I knew that I had to share something with her and she knew she had to share something with me and we put the kids to sleep um, down and sat down on the couch and 
I was like, you know, like, how's the course? And she was like, yeah, yeah, cool, you know. I could, I could see, I know her well enough. I was like, something's up here. I'm like, oh, dear, how's this going to go down? And she's looking at me thinking he looks a little odd, you know, and like we're like, oh, dancing around each other. You know, if you're a married couple, you sort of sometimes you experience these things, weirdnesses. Um, and we, we, both, um, we both come from backgrounds of, of, of sexual abuse. And so the, the sharing... Um, was in the realm of us having to share things that we'd never told anyone else before. Uh, we, we'd never, ever shared. Uh, and we'd be married, um, we'd be married for 10 years uh, at that time. And we had never, ever shared this with anyone. And, and yet the power, the, the waves that I was talking about, the waves of God's grace had smashed us earlier in the day, and we knew that that was the day that we had to, we had to share with each other. And, and we, sat down, uh, we sat down on the couch uh, and... And I, I rushed in. I'm normally the first to speak in our relationship and in everywhere. Uh, and and I just said to her, look, you know, there's some homework I, I've got. I need to just share with you. And I just, I proceeded with fear and trembling to just um, tell her about what had happened to me and what I'd been through. Um, and as I was speaking, she just, I mean, you can you can understand, maybe since you can hear some of the emotion is still there um, many years later. Uh, I just saw her eyes you know, the taps opened, and she's a very compassionate person, um, and she just wept as I shared with her what had happened to me. So I'm crying, she's crying, and we're like trying to both make it through, um, and the, the love that she shared, and just like the shame evaporating as I'm just disclosing things and just letting everything out into the light and sensing the Spirit of God at work in my life right there and then saying it's all out there on the table. And the gospel, in the gospel, you don't have to hide these things. That's the, that's the true power of the gospel, is that you don't have to hide the fact that there's sexual abuse. Uh, um, you're able to let that be known because God's grace has covered that and the shame is taken away. That is the power of the gospel. And um, I managed to get through my bit. Then uh, I said, is you know, anything you want to say? And she said, well, actually, I have to. Uh, and then she, she proceeded to share things with me that had happened to her that I didn't know. Uh, and it was just like the reverse kind of thing. And there was this weird mixture of my heart absolutely just being ripped uh, apart, listening to what had happened to her, what she had endured and, and had suffered in silence. You know, I felt all these conflicting emotions about what a poor husband I'd been to not create the environment where she'd been able to share that in the previous 10 years of our marriage. Um, and, and yet just such p- pride in her, at her courage, being able to just be open and honest. And as she's sharing, I can just see also with my own eyes, she's experiencing now what I've just experienced, just this shame lifting and the grace of God just washing over her. And we wept and we prayed together and we went and found some bread and shared communion, like now we're like tracking towards one o'clock in the morning and we're heading out to work the next day. I'm realizing that's very late for, for South Africans, by the way. I know you, you English think that's still an early evening, but, uh, you know, we're up late there. We're just, and we're just sensing God's grace just washing over us. And it's a day that Claire and I both reference. And, we, and when we meet with people and we do premarital counseling and marriage counseling and stuff, we, we ask people about that. So, what, what does your spouse not know about you? What are the areas of shame that you have kept away from them and not fully believed the gospel has taken away your shame and liberated you to walk in the light? What things do you feel, that's too much? 
That's too much for either God, me to be honest with God about, me to be honest with this person about, me to be honest with my life group about. There was such a fundamental shift for us that when we started the church, uh, we, had, we divided everybody into life groups, and uh, we started with people sharing their stories. We said, well, the first few weeks, Kel's going to remember this. Kelly was part of our church back home. We started, people started sharing their life stories. My wife got up and shared it on a Sunday um, as an example to people, and we asked guys, just share. And we gave them guidelines on how to tell your life story. And we said, the only requirements are that you have to be vulnerable you have to allow, don't tell everyone like, I was born in you know, the 16th of February. Or, like, no one cares when you were born, but, uh, or they care, but they're not interested. Like, um, tell people the stuff that will help them to know you and w- what explains who you are. And then end it with like, sharing what are your current sin struggles. Just like, lay it all on the table there and make sure, and we trained all the leaders hard on this, to say, you make sure that you gospel the daylights out of that group and that person before they go home. You make sure that the shame is gone, that they understand the fullness of the righteousness of Christ, how gospel covers them, shame is taken away. You celebrate the marks of grace all over their life, and you send them home with a little gospel party there kind of thing. Man, did we have a party starting in the church with those kinds of stories. I mean, it was maybe a slightly unwise thing to do. We had people coming out of the closet, you know, um, for the first time admitting to groups of people that they... They were they're struggling with their sexual orientation. No one in the group of friends of theirs hadn't known any of that stuff before. And, like, I mean, it's an early church. There's a lot of youngsters in our church. And people were just like, how do we deal with this? Like, this is a bit, like, next level. But at the same time, God's grace was on those things. And even in the mess of that, we found in the early days of our church just how messy the gospel is but how glorious it is when shame is taken away. And that's one of the things that I wanted to just put before you a question so how much shame are you living with how much are you longing that no one knows about you it can be a spouse it can be your life group it can be a partner it can be your friends it can be the elders of the church it can be god what are you hiding what are you keeping there that you feel you have a lack of belief that the gospel is strong enough to cover that shame and to take and break its power and that's that's what i believe what god wants to do with you today Right out of the gates in the first session. It may be the strongest, most compelling thing God does with you this weekend. It's just move that and break something of the shame and bring your light into the light of the gospel. And you feel that wave of grace just drench over you. So you don't have to hide that stuff anymore. You see, we, we think that we will be rejected when people know who we truly are. I think, and that, that's why I never told my wife. I thought if she knew this about me, she would push me away. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell because the truth is that God knows you fully and he loves you more than you could ever believe. He knows everything about you and he hasn't pushed you away. He knows everything and he has welcomed you. He knows all the mess that was committed to you and by you. You know, there's some things that have been done to us that cause us shame, but there's things that we have done that cause us shame. Some of you in this room have done things that you should be ashamed of. Because they're sinful and grievous things. And you should rightly feel a sense of shame around those things, but not live with that shame. You know what I mean? There's a difference between thinking they're nothing. Like I heard what Doug said, you know, cool, I'm, I'm done with that. God's taken my shame. I feel nothing for those things. No, no, you should. If you haven't repented of those things and brought them to God, you should feel a weight of the grievousness of the things that we've done. But for those who walk with Jesus, that's not where we stay 
Shame is taken and grace comes. And we acknowledge those things as, I did those things, or those things were done to me, but they don't define me. That's not who I am. I'm a saint of God, set free from shame and guilt and regret. Some people will object to that and say, well, I don't, I don't feel like much of a sinner. I hear what you're saying, Doug, it's a cool story, I'm glad it happened to you. But I don't feel like much of a sinner. And a, a, a verse that has really weighed heavily on my heart is James 1 verse 10 throughout the years. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of all of it. Whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point is guilty of all of it. And maybe particularly here, if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, you're thinking this is, this is great stuff. I'm sure then Christians are really encouraged by it, but it doesn't really have any bearing and importance in my life. I don't feel like much of a sinner. I, I want to graciously put to you that if you've, I think you would even agree with me that you haven't lived a perfect life. At some point, somewhere along the line, you've put one foot wrong. Even if it's just one foot, slightly wrong. You would concede that. And the Bible says, if you've put one foot wrong, you're guilty of breaking everything. And it renders you desperately needing reconciliation with God because you miss it by a millimeter, millimeter, you miss Do you use millimeters here? You miss it by a millimeter, you miss it by, you miss everything. What I've been talking about is an objective truth, but the reality is that we don't always feel it, isn't it? We don't always feel like not condemned, forgiven, set free. We feel it in waves. We feel the ebbs and flows of it. And there's different voices that speak into your head. And some of us are better at listening to them or ignoring them than others. Some of, them, some of those voices are just your own regret over what you've done or what's been done to you. It's just you think back of your past and you just think, man, I so wish I hadn't done that or that hadn't been done to me or whatever it is. And just camp with that voice playing again and again. Sometimes other people are excellent at reminding you of your own sin. Sometimes the consequences of your life remind you of that. We've done things in our past that were sinful and we're living out the consequences of those things. And those consequences have a way of just keep reminding us, yeah, remember that, that thing, it's still with you. And that can have a way of just bringing the shame and the guilt and the regret in waves over us again instead of the waves of grace. And possibly more powerfully and something we pay very little attention to is the accusing voice of the enemy. Satan just looking at your life, demonic forces looking at your life saying, and just willing to accuse you and lie to you and say, yeah, the gospel didn't really work in you. All that stuff that that guy's talking about, shame being gone, that's not for you. You were really jacked up. His stuff was lower grade stuff. Man, what you did or what was done to you, that's next level stuff. That's not going to happen. And, and the, way you f- the way we allow our feelings to run away with us and our voices to speak to us, we just get beaten up by these lies. You just, you just sit there and circle and stew in these lies. Satan never, ever speaks a true word. Jesus called him the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He can't speak any truth. And all he does, the only currency and language he knows is lies. And he will come and he will lie to you that you're not good enough to be a Christian. You're not good enough to be part of this church. You're not good enough to be fruitful or useful for God. Who are you? Who are you? to even approach the living God that Doug was talking about. 
You just, maybe he'll let you into the room, but go sit in the naughty corner over there and don't speak unless you get called. Just be grateful that you're in the room. There's no in- we'll talk about this in the next session. There's no intimacy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's a difference between conviction and accusation. Conviction is a work of the Spirit. It's a gentle, drawing work of the Spirit. And the result of it is growing intimacy with God that pulls us into a relationship with God. Accusation is meant to drive you away from God. It's just hurling grenades at you to drive you away from the presence of God. Thanks be to God we deal with conviction. And Lord, would you help us to recognize accusations and stand firm against them? Paul closes this bit out with some more implications. They say, well, if you're not condemned, then how do you live? If that's the banner over your life, not condemned, set free from shame, then, then how do you live? He says you live by the spirit and not by the flesh. You live by the spirit and not by the flesh. There it is in verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. If you feed your flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You're not obligated. Not obligated to live the way you used to live. Isn't that wonderful? God has done something to enable you and set you free to live in a completely different way. You have no obligations to your flesh. That's the miracle of the gospel. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to go down that route, even though you've done it a million times. There's some of you sitting here today, you have promised God a million times you would never do that thing again. And, and, and yet you do, again and again. But we're not obligated because of the presence and the power of the Spirit. He says you just set your mind. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Let me ask you as we head towards, you know, what, are you, what are you training your mind on? In your idle moments, where does your mind go? In your idle moments, what do you find yourself thinking about, fantasizing about? Because that, that's, that's, that's where your heart's going. And one of the things that we grow in as believers is that you learn to discipline your mind. You learn to have it renewed in the Scriptures and by the power of the Spirit so that you're setting it on the things of the Spirit, so that you're feeding the Spirit, you're living according to the Spirit, you're not living according to the flesh. Because as you live according to the flesh, it says you're going to die. You're going to do things that are going to kill you. They're going to kill the life of the Spirit in you. That's why you find so many miserable Christians. That's why you find so many miserable Christians. They're saved by grace and they live according to the flesh, as it were. They're like, hey, grateful that God has saved me. But in function, they're, they're functional atheists. They go through every day without having a mind set on the things of the Spirit. And you know how you do that? You, you allow your mind to get renewed. Because your default setting is the flesh. And, and you, you renew it by soaking it in this Word. The Spirit of God takes the Word and starts to change the way you see God and the way you see the world. Let me leave it there for this session. I'd like us to spend some time praying. I don't know how much time we have. Have we got time to respond in 
So I want, I'd like to pray for us. Are you up for that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you have done. Our, our, feeble, our feeble words could never really um, capture appropriate thanks. and we, we stumble and we fumble around for words and phrases to express just how grateful we are for the fact that you have done what we could never do. And that our, our glorious God has come into the world in Jesus to be a sin offering for us. So that in, in him and through him we could know um, life and freedom and grace and joy in the spirit. I'm going to pray for these, these friends of ours and mine this morning here. Father, thank you that you know each, uh, each and every one of us. Our lives are laid bare before you. We, we don't, we're, not, we're not able to hide anything from you. Despite sometimes our best efforts, it, we, that's an inability of ours. We're laid bare before you. I pray that you give us grace to just acknowledge that this morning. Thank you that this is a place of grace, that you are here with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to ask that you would come amongst us and work out these implications of the gospel of grace. I'm going to pray for people who are sitting here this morning who are weighed down and feeling trapped and overwhelmed and crushed with guilt and, and shame. That's hindering their ability to enjoy you to walk in, in freedom and in light and in life. And I pray that you would do a special thing for them this morning. That you would breathe over us by the Spirit of God this morning. And that thing that they're mulling over now, even as I'm speaking, those things that they long for no one to know, you would be applying the grace of God to those memories, to those circumstances, to those situations, to the, to the shame and the guilt and the regret they feel about those things. and Drag those things out of the recesses of our lives. We keep them hidden from you and the world and the power of the gospel and we lay them bare on an altar and let the grace of God wash over them. Thank you that we're not defined by those things that we've done and the things that we've done have been done to us. We're defined by who we are in you. Breathe on us now, please, Father. And for those who, for whom this may still be new, for who are still looking in at the gospel, looking in at faith and attracted to it but have never yet crossed over a line, taken a step and responded saying, I, I would like that for myself. I realize that this is not my current reality. This life is not yet resident within me. I pray that you would give them grace to respond. Thank you that you are God who wakes up our hearts. 
You grant saving faith. You bring life. You take us from death to life and you just move over our lives and cause life to come and and pray that you give grace and courage for people to respond this morning to that. The gospel is so good. You are so good to us. We want to revel in the life-giving power of grace. We pray that shame would just melt in this room right now. And regret would evaporate. We would have a gospel party in this place. Because we are the sons and daughters of God. And the banner over our lives is not condemned. We worship you for that. Thank you, Father.